handle the truth. Hi, and welcome to episode one of the Truth Podcast presented by ESPN Pod Center. I'm Mikey Domagala alongside my co-host Jermaine Barnes, aka Juice. Now, him and I have plenty of experience around the game of basketball. Jermaine, a 12-year professional basketball player who's played around the world in 18 different countries. Myself, the owner of NBA Buzz on all platforms with 3 million combined followers, host of Inside Buzz, a basketball journalist, and man, we're just so proud and happy to start our journey with ESPN and can't wait to share our interviews and discussions with the NBA world. Here we are, episode one. Give the fans some insight of what they'll be hearing about and from the Truth Podcast in the future, and also a little touch of a sneak peek of who we're having on today. Well, first of all, congratulations, my friend. Happy to be here. This is going to be a great journey. And this indeed should be called the Paul, the Paul Pierce podcast because we're delivering nothing but the truth. Speaking of the truth, NCAA champion, NBA champion, and by far one of the most explosive basketball players I've ever seen in my life. And he brought swag to the NBA, Mr. Jordan Brand, Derek Anderson. So I'm super excited about today, man. Man, we're going to lay down the truth all year and for years to come. Jermaine, you're a known LeBron critic. You know, he just won his fourth title, coming off a great season at 35 years old. Where is he on your all-time NBA list? Give me your top 10. And But Jermaine, before we start, the criteria of this for all the listeners and the fans watching, the greatness will be determined by, but not limited to, championships, accolades, more importantly, MVPs, regular season and finals MVP. The era these players played in, their all-time impact on and off the floor. So, JB, hit me with your top 10. Well, I mean, shoot, this is a tough one and a great question. The thing about it, with your question about LeBron James, let's see. They call me a tough Brian critic, but I actually do have a high level of respect for the guy. Uh, I think he's a fantastic businessman. I love the way he always keeps his people on board, and he's doing a good job being an ambassador for the league. My issue with LeBron James is when you push yourself to a stratosphere of GOAT status, when you go GOAT status, now I have to measure you to the GOAT, who is later determined. So if we're <laughs> going to break into the top 10, we'll go ahead and hit it. My number 10, Kevin Durant. Number 10, the Durantula, a seven-foot guard that has every offensive ability in the world and a very underrated passer and defender. Two-time finals MVP and went head-to-head -head with LeBron James and dominated. Dominated LeBron James. And, yes, you ran from him. I said it. I said it. Kevin Durant is at my number 10. When his career finishes, which should be around eight years, I think he'll be in my top five. Um, number nine, the Big Dipper, Wilt Chamberlain, Mr. 50. Averaged 50 points in one season, uh, scored the incredible 100-point game. But more importantly, the things that people don't realize is if you watch a documentary on Wilt, Wilt was a world-class athlete all the way around. Wilt was regarded as the strongest man in the world. Arnold Schwarzenegger said he picked him up with one hand on a set of Conan. Um, this guy was a world-class sprinter, and we're talking about Olympics. This guy set world records at Kansas. There was nothing he could do, he couldn't do. So he has my respect. I think Will Chamberlain is a fantastic player, and he led the NBA in assists one season. Uh, number eight, Mr. Fundamental, Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, the greatest power forward of all time, uh, five NBA championships. Just the definition of professionalism. If you want a power forward, 
you look at him. He is a hybrid version of Kevin McHale to me. Just a fantastic player, uh, very skilled, very fundamental. Can't say enough about him. Number seven, Shaquille O'Neal, the most dominant big man of all time. Outside of Will Chamberlain, uh, the Diesel did it all. Five championships, um, four with the Lakers, of course, and one with um, the Miami Heat. Uh, super impressive. I just think the guy is um, fantastic. Hold on. It's not five. It's four. Shaq has four. Three with Kobe, one with Miami. Um, I can't say enough about Shaq. They give Shaq a hard time, but he deserves to say the things he says. He was the most dominant player we've ever seen in the game. Um, number six is LeBron James. I have him at six. Um, I think LeBron James is a fantastic basketball player. I think he is the most well-rounded player we have in the game today. He's the most dominant player in the game, and I will say it openly right now. Uh, minus Kevin Durant, he is the best player in the world. Kevin didn't play this year, and it was him. You know, um, he deserves a lot of credit. He's very smart, highly intelligent basketball player, and it's very hard to carry the NBA on your shoulders. He's a cash cow. He is a cash cow. My biggest issues with LeBron James is people tend to forget about the Mavs series. I did not. The Warriors series, I did not. And the Spurs, I did not. You know, when the playing fields are even, I feel like the guy isn't who he should be. If you think back to an Allen Iverson who's better without talent than he is with talent, LeBron James has those qualities. He has the ability to uplift very poor talent and make them Super, super talented guys, just like Jordan did and getting guys extra contracts. But LeBron James, I mean, it's, it's a lot of stacking going on, so I'm not going to stay there long. Number five, Kobe the Bean Bryant, the guy who they said could not win without Shaq. Shaq left. He won two more titles. He is the guy that delivered on the Nike campaign when LeBron and Kobe were supposed to meet each other in the finals twice. Kobe made his trips. LeBron stayed at home and watched and clapped. The Black Mamba, 60 points, 60 points in the game, his final game, his uh, MVP stretch where he averaged 35 and they robbed him and gave it to Steve Nash, where he was incredible. 60 points on the Dallas Mavs in three quarters, 81 points against the Raptors. I mean, this guy was the definition of basketball. If you need a poor man's Michael Jordan, that was Kobe the Bean Bryant, rest his soul. Uh, I was a big fan. I wore number eight because of Kobe Bryant. All right. So that's a fun fact for the listeners. We're in the top four. Larry Joe Bird. Larry Bird. I'm a big Larry Bird fan. I think Larry Bird is the number four player of all time. I think Larry Bird is a mixture between Luca and the Joker. That's what I think. A 6'10", super skilled big man that had the exact same game LeBron James had in his prime before the back went out because they actually played a physical brand of basketball, not like the fairy dust league we have right now. But Larry Bird was averaging 28 points, 12 rebounds, and seven assists. That's, those are his numbers. With great players on the roster, this, this guy was everything. And I think people take a lot for granted. And I'll say this, Mike. I'll say it openly. In an African-American based league, where everybody hates you and you are labeled as the great white hope. He showed up every single night and proved why he was the best player in the world night in and night out. 56 points against Dennis Rodman. 60-point game against Dominique Wilkins. He is not just out there doing what he wants to do against bums. You know, 
We look at the NBA Finals that just passed this year. LeBron James had to match up against a couple of bums. Larry Bird got attacked every night. And we try to avoid the race issue, but it was very race-driven. You remember the remarks Isaiah Thomas said about him. He would just be an average guy if he was black. That's BS. Larry Joe Bird was the best player in the world at the time, and Magic Johnson even admitted it. I think he was a fantastic basketball player that got cut short because of the back injury based off the physicality of the league at the time. Number three, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was regarded as the GOAT at that time. Uh, Kareem, the all-time leading scorer. I mean, if anybody argues that he's the greatest player of all time, you say, ah, I see your point. The guy was a winner on every level. He dominated every level. There's nothing we can't say about Kareem. He was a fantastic player. He deserves a lot of credit. It's the reason why Magic called him Cal. With that being said, my number two guy is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is the second greatest player of all time. Magic Johnson is the second greatest player of all time for a lot of simple reasons. He played 10 years. In a 10-year span, he went to the NBA Finals nine times, and he won five of them. Now, they say he had all this talent. When he was 19 years old, the cap, the GOAT, went down, injured. And a 19-year-old rookie walked into that game versus the amazing Julius Irving and scored 45 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists and was named Finals MVP. And from that day forward, he became the best player on the Lakers, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not to mention him and Larry Bird saved the NBA. They got us on television, and they got all you new young guys paid. You can thank Magic Johnson and Larry Bird for that. So the guy won a high school state championship. He won an NCAA championship, and he won an, NCAA champion, an NBA championship all before he was 20 years old. So get a guy a lot of credit because can't nobody in the history of basketball do what he did. Now, drum roll, number one, who could guess? Michael Air Jordan. Michael Air Jordan. This is, this is too easy for me. This is too easy for me. Nobody's in the GOAT conversation. We're talking about a guy that beat the NBA All-Stars eight games in a row as a junior in college. Nobody knows that. The, the, the uh, USA team never took pros in the 80s. They only took the college kids. So Michael Jordan and the college guys with uh, Bobby Knight went and played the NBA All-Stars who featured Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Isaiah Thomas. Michael Jordan led all of those games in scoring, and he dominated NBA players. This happened before the draft, so nobody knew this. Also, first guy to three-peat twice. That's Mr. Michael Jordan. Never lost a game seven. Never lost the NBA Finals. Six-time final MVP. 6-0 and in the Finals. There's nothing I can't say about Michael Jordan. He is basketball perfection. There's nothing he can't do. The guy ran a 4-4-40, excuse me, a 4-3-40 clock at the University of North Carolina. Recorded as the longest hang time in sports history, not NBA history. Longest recorded hang time. And the guy has the highest recorded vertical of all time. We're just talking about putting the skills together, the IQ together, the heart, the determination, and just the raw physical ability. The guy was amazing. In 1988, when he was named um, most valuable player in the league. He also won defensive player of the year. He was also averaging over 36 points. He also won all-star MVP, dunk contest. You name an award, the guy won it. 
in one season. He had to leave the NBA and he came right back in dominant fashion. It's just certain things he did nobody else can do. And I'll just say this. Look at that roster. Look at that roster. Those were bums. Scottie Pippen was over the hill when he came back the second time. Ron Harper was over the hill and Dennis Rodman was 35. Nobody can win with the rosters Michael Jordan had. He just made it happen. This guy was perfection on the floor. Mikey, you have to stop me because I will spend six hours talking about the great Michael Jordan. So here we go, JB. Well, for all the listeners who maybe weren't following or came in late, I'll put Jermaine's top 10 at the end of the screen when I'm done alongside mine. So JB, my, 10, my top 10 all time, a little different than it. yours. A I little different than yours. You know, I got the young kid perspective compared to you. You're, uh, you know, you're a few years older than me, so you watch these guys. Me, now I'm used to a different kind of era. So we'll start at top 10. We'll, we'll start at number 10, excuse me, at 10. Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, Hakeem did kick Shaq's butt in the finals all the time. People don't want to admit it, but in the 90s, especially the early 90s, Hakeem was so much better than Shaq until Shaq came into his own with the Lakers. Um, you know, one MVP, two championships. He needs a ton of credit for leading a not-so-stacked Rockets team, especially in 94, to back-to-back chips. Yeah, they got Clyde Drexler the next year. You know, I'm not going to say they didn't. Hakeem, the supreme, the supreme shot blocker, supreme defender. 1994, JB, listen to this. MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. Finals MVP, he averaged that year 27 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, four assists, and four blocks. How the hell do you beat that, man? You know, so amazing. amazing player indeed. And yeah. at number nine, next up, I mentioned Shaq. Shaq's got to come in here. You know, most dominant ever, like you mentioned. Just one MVP. Um, you would think he would have way more, but Steve Nash might have robbed a few from him. Four-time NBA champion, like you mentioned. And JB, listen to this. From 1992 to 2006, that's 14 years, Shaquille O'Neal. 25 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, three assists per game, and 2.5 blocks per game over 14 straight years. Shaq gets, you know, some, some flack for not working that hard, but, man, he, he was just a physical specimen that was crazy. And if he had Kobe's work ethic, man, he'd be our number one for sure. You know, that would oh, be God. insane. And uh, Tim oh, Duncan God. coming next at number eight, my opinion, greatest power forward ever. Karl Malone comes close, but... Duncan has, you know, he, he's at the top. Complete game for a big man. Supreme leader. He came into the league alongside David Robinson. Yeah, they had a great team, but with his leadership and his skills, they just started winning instantly. Two-time MVP, five-time NBA champion, and his longevity. How do you beat that? Just, you know, uh, loyal, incredible longevity for him. Number seven. Now, yeah. JB, I'm surprised you left off the great Bill Russell. Now, I do understand why, because of the error he played in. Yeah, there weren't too many big men, but that's not exactly his fault. My only mm. knock for him, though, he had so many legendary teammates and amazing pieces around him. Like, LeBron gets crap when he recruited Wade and Bosh, but Bill Russell had a super, super team, you know, yes, in his did. defense in the 50s and the 60s. So, yeah, he won 11 NBA championships, five MVPs. That's, that's incredible. I do have to knock what I just said about who his competition and his teammates were. But I also got to give him, you know, a pat on the back because at that time, no blocks or steals or defensive player of the years were, were given. 
So in that time, he would have been yeah. incredible and won all of them. 15 points per game, 22 rebounds per game, four assists per game in his career. Again, that's without blocks yeah. being recorded. Um, number six. Winner, yeah, a winner for sure. Number six, the great Kobe Bryant. May he rest in peace. Um, in my opinion, the most skilled player ever. You know, uh, MJ Maybe. might be at the... T- M- MJ might be at the top of my list, wink, wink, but I got Kobe as the most skilled ever. Like you said, winner with and without Shaq. Um, you got to give him credit for coming back and winning with Pau Gasol and that team. I mean, yeah, he had great teammates, but no Kobe on that team. They're not going anywhere. You know, uh, like I said, one of the most skilled players ever. You need a bucket. He's going to go get it. Look what he did towards the end of his career with the, the final game and all of that. This is where it gets yeah. a little similar. Our list, JB, a little similar. Number five, Larry Bird. Man, oh, man. Talk about one of the most fundamentally, excuse me, sound players in NBA Mm -hmm. history. Just a flat-out winner. He would talk trash in your face and then just rein in threes over you. Only about two threes a game, though, because in the 80s, compared to now, I mean, they didn't shoot nearly as much threes. So Larry Bird's averaging all these points per game back then. He's a winner and all that while shooting just two threes a game. Imagine him today. Oh, man, he'd be probably putting up eight threes a game while averaging 35, in my opinion. A little fun fact for the listeners out there about Bird. He won three straight MVPs, the only player in NBA history to ever do that. Also, give him credit for his three, three NBA championships and helping the league, you know, become so prominent with Magic Johnson. Yeah. Next up, Don't number four, Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of knocked Whoa. Bill. Ru- yeah, man, I kind of knocked Bill Russell a little bit about the competition he played in. But I feel if you put Will Chamberlain in the the NBA today or in any era, he would kick the competition's butt. He can't help where he played. I mean, he still went up up against Kareem, Bill Russell, and guys like that, and still, you know, outmatched them in the game, just not winning. Um, you know, Wilt only had two championships. It would usually just be Bill Russell beating him. Like you said, he's a freak athlete and, man, two-time NBA champion, four times MVP, 30 points per game, 23 rebounds per game, four assists career. per game in, in his career. Not just one season. You said he averaged 50 points per game in a season. Just incredible. Number three. Now, for the listeners, just think. I have – you know, there's Magic Johnson left, there's LeBron, there's Kareem, and of course, Michael Jordan left. I have three spots left. You'll see where I'm going to go with this after Magic. Magic at number three, revolutionized the point guard position. Greatest point guard ever, greatest passer ever. Just a winner. JB, you mentioned it before about coming in as a kid, instantly, you know, creating winning mentalities and winning championships. Um, His career couldn't have been even greater in the 10, 11 years he played. You know, um, his AIDS diagnosis really cut his career short. And I would have seen him playing into the mid-1990s. Even when he came back in 96, JB, I'm sure you remember this. um, He was was like 35 years old, you know, a little chunky, a little out of shape. Still averaged 15 points per game and seven assists for that remaining season. So Magic Johnson is just, you know, a freak of nature as well at six foot nine, six foot ten-ish at the point guard position. Number two, this is where it's, it's going to get interesting. Because of LeBron just winning his fourth career ring, that puts in my list LeBron equal with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, what will it take for LeBron to surpass Kareem? In my opinion, that's two more championships, which will okay. make six. 
and surpassing Kareem on the all-time scoring list because where Kareem's mark is at with with uh, thirty-seven thousand ish, I believe thirty-eight thousand. Yeah. That is incredible. I mean, LeBron's pacing nicely, but I can't give him the credit past Kareem just yet. You made a ton of great points about both, so I won't continue. But just look at their look at their longevity, how they impact the game. They're all around numbers. They're winning and sometimes losing in LeBron's uh, department, but man, they they know how to lead a team. Just look at what LeBron did early on in his career with some of those Cavs teams. He led to the deep yeah. into the playoffs and into the finals. JB, I know I know you like to knock LeBron, but you can't knock that. That's incredible. I, you know, I actually like what you said with Kareem and LeBron when you said longevity and you put them together. You can't discredit being able to play a long time because injuries are part of the game. These guys avoided the injuries, so I like the way you did that. Number one, who else would it be? We will agree on this wholeheartedly. Michael Jordan. Now, nobody says what kind of be, what could have been in MJ's career, but I will because if he didn't retire the first time, what else would he have done? Would they have won every title of the 90s as well as not retiring at the end of the 90s if Jerry Krause didn't kind of pull, pull out the rug from all of them? So you made a ton of great points. You know I'm going to touch on it as well. He had his career stuff, but I'm also going to mention his off-the-court stuff. I mean, his impact on sneaker culture, clothing, how every kid in America and across the globe just want to be basketball players because of MJ's influence. Now yeah. let's hop into his, you know, career a little bit. JB, this is going to interest you and all the fans too. I saw and did my homework. Let me just highlight this just so I'm not, I don't get any of this wrong. This is what separates Michael Jordan and LeBron James in accolades. This is one whole Hall of Fame career that LeBron James doesn't have compared to MJ. MJ has two more rings, two more finals MVPs, one defensive player of the year, four more all-defensive first teams. I mean, MJ, just one of the greatest guard position defenders alongside Dwayne Wade, and nine more scoring titles. Nine more scoring titles. MJ, you know, with Kobe, some of the greatest scorers ever. Three more steals titles. You know, people like to knock LeBron about not doing a dunk contest, but hey, MJ won dunk contests. He, he wasn't afraid of the moment. He wanted to put on for his city and for his fans. So you look at his mm-hmm. 1988 season and all of that, his remarkable legendary career coming back in 2001, averaging 22 points per game from 38 to 40 years old. Man, mm-hmm. how can MJ not be your GOAT? He's just the GOAT in my book and his mentality and all of that, what he did to lead his team to rings. He's number one in my book. JB, that's my top 10 compared to your top 10. Everybody stick around for a couple minutes, and I will put that on the screen side to side. And you guys, put your opinion in the comments. Who do you agree with? Do you agree with Mikey? Do you agree with Jermaine? So hit us up about all that, and we'd love to debate. For everybody listening who's not watching on YouTube to see our list drawn out, to start with Jermaine's, his top 10, Kevin Durant at 10, Wilt Chamberlain 9, Tim Duncan, 8, Shaq, 7, LeBron, 6, Kobe, 5, Larry Bird, 4, Kareem, 3, Magic Johnson, 2, and Michael Jordan, 1. For my list, starting at number 10, Hakeem Olajuwon. Number 9, Shaquille O'Neal, followed by Tim Duncan, number 8, Bill Russell, 7, Kobe, number 6, 5, Larry Bird, 4, Wilt Chamberlain, 3, Magic Johnson, 2 is a tie between LeBron and Kareem, and one is Michael Jordan. If you want to debate with us, 
or, you know, just pick our brains on our list. Follow us at Truth Podcast ESPN on Instagram and send us a DM there. And also stay tuned for our interview with Derek Anderson. Now it's time. The Truth Podcast's first guest, 11-year NBA veteran, 1996 NCAA champion with Kentucky, 2006 NBA champion with the Miami Heat, and the first player ever signed to Jordan Brand, the great Derek Anderson. DA, welcome to The Truth, my man. Thank you, man. Good to be on your show. Congratulations, too. Hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. I have to, I have to jump in. You, you calling us from the Lamborghini, man? What's going on? What's happening over there? <laughs> nah, it's just a truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I doubt it. Now, look, they don't know, so I have to say it. This is Mr. Jordan Brand. This is my era. This is my generation, Mike. This is the guy that brought style to the NBA. We wanted to be just like this guy. I wore number 23 in college. I practiced the Jordan lean. We can never quite get it like DA, but this guy made me wear the patent leather Jordans. Like, this guy was it for us. So, look, DA, <laughs> me and him, we're going back and forth right now about this list. I gave him the real top 10 list, which is mine. <laughs> he gave me his okay top 10 list. I need you to lay down the truth. You can't handle everybody. the truth. This is coming from a guy that played against the Kobe's. The guy that played against Jordan, the guy that saw Shaq, this guy played against LeBron. He's seen everybody play side by side by Tim Duncan. I need to hear it from the man, which I call Mr. Jordan Brand. I need you to lay down the truth on who's the real top ten from DA. Well, only reason I give my top ten in this version is because this is what I see in my eyes. I don't, I don't base it upon numbers because there's guys who led to certain schools with their all-time leading scores and they're not even close to being the best player. So I don't look at numbers unless right. I know that they're significant and the player significant. So for me, I always had uh, MJ as one. I don't have a – like, I think MJ is the best for me because I pattern my game. Like, if I was a big guy, I would like a big guy. But for me, yeah. being an athletic guy, I've always catered my game to those people who can do a lot more. So for me, it was uh, MJ. It was uh, Kareem because I got to see him play college pros. I saw him develop. Nobody can block. He could run the, like, the court crazy. I had Magic Johnson, who could lead a team in college pro. I had uh, Kobe Bryant, who got 81 points in the, in the game. Uh, then I had LeBron. like That dude's IQ is off the chart. Um, I had Bird, because I saw him play every playoffs, felt like growing up. Uh, I saw Shaq growing up. I had him. I saw KD do stuff in 6'11 that I've never seen before. I had Tim Duncan lead a team and play every position. It didn't have a lot of vertical in him, but he was smart. He knew how to lead a team. I played with him, played past the ball. That was nine, right? That's nine. You, you uh, left out some like Hakeem Olajuwon, um, yeah. Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, did, you, did any of you guys see Wilt or, uh, or Russell play? We had Wilt. So how do, that, how, does people, how do people say that's their favorite, their best, and you don't even seen them play? Like, I'm only going with what I've seen play. I don't care about Russell having nine, how many ever rings he got. I never saw him play. He's like, not I'm on not my list either. He's not on yeah, my list so, either. Yeah, so for me, it was like the eyes i seen with visually my eyes, who I know that if I put on a team or got with them, you can tell they're going to help you win a game some kind of way, and they're going to – and if they need to, they're going to dominate the game. Uh, like, I grew up being a Dominique Who's Wilkins. 10, I would say Dominique Wilkins. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, wait, wait, wait. Mike, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing, Mike. DA, you got Michael Jordan number one. I got Michael Jordan number one. 
and Mikey accidentally got Michael Jordan number one. Why is Michael Jordan? <laughs> why is Michael Jordan the greatest player of all time from a guy that was next to him for so many years? I want to hear from you. Why is he number one? Because I know why he's number one to me and Mike. Well, he set the standard. I mean, if you look at all the guys before him and after him, who do they compare? They say, oh, when, when he came, he said, that's the greatest they've ever seen. When he left, he was the greatest ever seen. And now everyone's trying to emulate and get to him. Like, for me, like, he set that standard. He was the first guy to ever be able to play defense, uh, play offense, have a killer instinct. Uh, the man would just do everything that you need him. He wasn't a guy that said, oh, he only scores. He understood how to play basketball. Right. He put pressure on people in a, in a people in a different way than most people would accept. But he put pressure on everyone so they could think and play as hard as he did. Now, if he asked him to do something he couldn't do, I would be like, man, you tripping. Because he played hard yeah. defense. He rotated. He dove on for loose balls. He did everything. He wasn't afraid to take the last shot. He wanted the clutch moments. He never shied away from anything. He took ownership for himself. What that does is put a goal standing on, if you can be that great and still have a mentality of not being afraid to be to win or lose, you're the greatest. And he won by doing that. Now, you know, he's my GOAT as well, DA. He's number one in my book. I, I had LeBron and Kareem tied at number two. You had LeBron at number five. Now, why LeBron so low? And what well, it's, not a, it's not a number with him. He could have been number two or number three. LeBron could have been. I just put the numbers out. I'd have been, if you want to say a number, how do you define his number when he's not done anything except got a lot of stats? Like, what did you define to put him at number two? Like, if you had to check a game-winning shot, you know, like if you say, well, Magic and, and LeBron, they're great passes, I would trust either one of them with the ball. If you said the end of the game, I'm getting Kobe or, or Jordan. You know, like I'm picking a certain position. What do you need? Like a great facilitator is someone who could actually do more than just, you know, like you just want to win the game. So, again, like those things matter. Kareem, if I threw it into him, he's going to hit a sky hook, correct? Yes, so sir. When you say when you when I people agree. try to put people in positions, like you said, LeBron's like he's a great all-around player. But it, when I need a go-to basket, I probably would go with Jordan and uh, Kobe first. And nothing wrong with LeBron. Hey, like if he gets it, he probably he could possibly make it. But we've known from facts that Kobe and Jordan have always finished those clutch shots every single time. Like not every time, but you know most times. Then you think about passing Magic Johnson. Like, that guy's very cerebral, very smart. And then, okay, if you got LeBron and him with the ball, you can't lose. But I'm yeah. telling you from what I've seen every year, I've seen those guys put in people in positions to succeed. I can't say – I didn't put LeBron at number five. I was just telling you that from my own eyes, I witnessed those guys' greatness, and I like those guys at that. If you want to talk about athleticism, it's Jordan and LeBron, period. Like, I love Kobe, too. And Kobe does the same thing. Kobe's on Jordan, athleticism. Yeah, you know what I mean. So we're not comparing saying either one of us great turf, but if you had to pick, and I think most people would pick the same thing, even if you're a LeBron fan. Hell, LeBron would throw them the ball. Know how Thank smart you. LeBron is? LeBron would be like, "Hey man, I, that ain't my move." But if you want me to do, when we duck my head and run this dude over and bull truck somebody. <laughs> LeBron will get you that bucket. <laughs> okay, it's but look, DA, look, DA, look, DA. This is what I try to explain to a lot of, you know, people on the page, you know, it's, it's, it's not hating, but 
I really want to touch on it. I don't want to touch on it long because I want to switch gears, but I want you just to give me a minute to explain to them the difference between being able to touch somebody, the whole possession, and flagrant fouls not being a part of the game, to no touching, and if you look at somebody the wrong way, you're getting fined. So you can't play basketball worried about your money. You're playing competitively. Now, you played in both. You were there during the beatdown there, and then you – you finished off when it's starting to lighten up. I would like you to really explain to them the difference in between being touched when you're playing the game or having a seven-footer meet you at the rim every play. But now it's a small ball game, so there's no rim protection. So I want to know, like, are these players really that good or are they a product of the atmosphere? Well, here's the thing. A lot of the guys are talented. They're very skilled. They don't actually have the cerebral, the mental capacity to learn the game because they play AAU. Hey, your right. coaches in basketball has literally destroyed the kids how to think. If you hit one jump shot, guess who gets the next shot? You. You go to AAU, and every last one of these dudes is dribbling with their head down. They out here flexing. If you flex when we make a basket, we going down another team, the other end to score. While you doing yeah. all this flexing, we gone. Like yeah. now it's like a showcase. So the guys are suffering because of the leadership, but they're athletic. The difference yeah. is, it's like you ever seen boxers? People are like fans be like, man, he's weak. He can't fight. He's he can't box. But I bet you they would never box them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Knocked out. Yeah, but the same thing is like basketball. Now it's like it's like flag football and tackle football. It's yeah. football, but if you can take my head off and tackle me, I'm not coming through the middle as much. But if you got a flag, I'm coming through it. I don't care what you do. It's like now football. Like you can literally do whatever you want in football because they got so many penalties. Them quarterbacks wasn't standing there when Lawrence Taylor was coming through. They like, man, Great I'm falling point. down. Now you can yeah. barely touch a quarter. A quarterback sits in there for 10 seconds, and now his numbers just completely add up and add up. You're yeah. like, well, man, he's throwing 100 pounds. He, you can't tackle him. Yeah. So it's like in basketball, if you allow this dude to just – I used to get grabbed. Derek Harper and them guys used to grab me on offense. I couldn't even guard them, and they would throw me. Now you yeah. can't touch someone. Yeah. Like, that's freedom. Like, I could have that much freedom. Like, that's why so many other guys saying we could have averaged more because you couldn't touch us to stop us. If I got a 45-inch vertical and I'm super fast, how many times do you see a guy meet somebody at the rim now when they're trying to block a shot? It's almost a free dunk contest. The yep. lane opens up, a guy's are just laying in soft and this, and it's just different. But that doesn't, dis- that doesn't disregard the talent of today. Today has a no, lot of athletic talent. It's just no one has taught them how to think and play. There's no way you can tell me that you just watch a guy dribble for 20 seconds and his head down and you'll live with that shot. And they're shooting yeah. half court like that. Like the three-point has really changed into a four-point. It's still a three. That's a terrible shot. You yeah. just shooting deep to show off now at this point. It's like, no, I'm not – I could shoot – we could shoot back that far. But coach is like, that's stupid. <laughs> no. If I see a wide-open yeah. layup, I'm taking two points. Ten, two, ten layups is 20 points. Look how many people average 20-something a quarter. And they passing up yeah. ten layups. Like that's just not yeah. smart basketball. So – I think the generation has changed from AAU and kids having the right to say this, isn't that. So it's hurt the NBA. But again, it's not the kids' fault. Yeah, it's, not, it's just the, the culture that changed. It's messed the game of basketball up. And, um, and unfortunately, because this is a generation, because some of these guys, like KD in the 90s, whew, I would love to see him and Tracy yeah. Brady go at it. A healthy Tracy. No about it. No doubt about it. I'm going to change gears, though, DA. I'm going to change gears, and I want to touch on something. For a lot of you young guys that don't realize, D.A. suffered the same type of injury 
as a Derrick Rose. But we're not talking about twice. a generation with all the technology. Twice. Oh, I'm on it, BA. I'm on it. But we're not talking <laughs> about a generation of what well, we have this much technology. You're talking about a guy that went through these injuries twice before he was ever entering the league. Now, DA, I want to ask this serious question. How was it going through that injury after coming out playing on the greatest basketball team, arguably of all time, signing with Jordan Brand before the draft and becoming a lottery pick going into the Cavs? Like, I really want to know, like, how you were feeling at the time, what you were going through, and how could you come through with a Jordan Brand deal after two major injuries? Like, what would make the greatest of all time still believing? Well, man, I tore my left ACL in 1994, and it was like, you know, they put you, wrap you up in a big cast and make your weight, this and that. Then I got, then in 1997, I tore my right ACL. So I tore my left and right. And for me, mentality-wise was, how we grew up was, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. You can't sit here and say, mm -hmm. you have, uh, my mental capacity is not strong. I'm, I'm going through weakness. You know, it's my first injury. Like, we didn't have time to think like that. We had to be yeah. tough men young man and say, hey, everybody's going to have issues. Everybody's going to have injuries. How do you handle yourself to bounce back? And I think, again, uh, we were just taught that you have to fight through things. You can't just get babied or you can't say, well, hey, somebody's going to pay me and take care of me with insurance. No. We said we had to give back. So I was, I had a mentality of no one's going to give me anything. And I written, when I rehabbed, I rehabbed hard. I was doing swimming pool. I was coming in, like, like the trainers would be there at 12. I would be there at 1130, 1145, waiting to get in. They like, why are you here so early? I got to get it in, man. I got to get better. Like, I'm not coming in late, walking with flip-flops in, trying to look cute. I'm coming to work. And I think that was a mindset that we would all have been taught. Yeah. And, and Jordan saw me in my senior year when I tore my knee up. He had watched, he had, had somebody watch me rehab. He said, the dude's always on time. He's always working. He's doing extra work. I would watch practice rehab. Uh, shoot free throws after everybody's gone and then do something else after. He saw that. He knew somebody had watched me, and he was like, man, I just love how you came back. He said, you ain't make no excuses. You ain't take no year off. You came back. And I tore my ACL up in January 18th. I was windmill dunking the last week of March in a practice, and every scout saw me. They were like, well, what did he do? Because I had a cadaver. I didn't have a full – I had an uh, artificial uh, uh, tendon put back in, uh, uh, what they call a cadaver. You know, everybody was seeing me dunk and do all these windmills and all that stuff. And then they was like, well, how did he get back so fast? And and telling about the cadaver and me getting back. And they was just like, well, this guy, he's just committed. I was just committed on working out, getting better. And once people saw me play, Jordan was like, well, man, I know you're healthy now. I trust and see what you're doing. I would love you to be a part of the brand. And he was like, you know, I know you'd had ACLs or whatever, but he said the way you, you're passionate about the game, how hard you play, and everybody said this, I played every play like it was the last, like it was the last play of the game. I didn't take plays off. I didn't play around with people. If I lost the ball, I'm chasing you down. I'm not just giving you a layup. You know, I was doing, I was just doing hustle things. But then you had talent. You could score. You could do those things. But it was just a mindset for me. And I think a lot of those guys in our early '90s, we just didn't make, we didn't have any chances to make excuses. Yeah. So. So, D.A., back then, I mean, Jordan Brand then compared to what it is now is a lot different. There weren't – there really weren't any Jordan athletes other than MJ. So, how did you feel and how did the first call get to you of what MJ wanted to do? And I read that when you first got to Nike and, you know, they were recruiting you, MJ was there. So, please tell us that story and about, you know, the, the conversations you guys were having. 
Well, I got invited to Nike. Like, so I didn't, it wasn't even an MJ invite. It was like, hey, Nike wants to speak to you. So I went out there with my Uncle George because I didn't have an agent and no marketing team or nothing, just me. So I went out there with my Uncle George and we was out there hanging out. And then we went in and uh, he had walked out of a meeting, Phil and all those people. So they walk out and I walk in the meeting. And there was Michael Jordan just sitting there by himself. Uh, and uh, he said, hey, man, how you doing? So we introduced George, this is that. And uh, he said, well, man, how you need feel? And I'm like, it's better. It's good. And he said, I figured that. I've seen you rock out. And I'm like, so we had a little conversation, small talk. And he said, well, listen, we started the Jordan brand. And I would like for you to be a part of this uh, this, this family. We just launched it now. So they was just launching it. It was coming out. They had already facilitated, did things. He said, hey, I want you to be a part of the Jordan brand. He said, I want you to be one of the guys to, to bring me, bring this to life. And I was like, I would be honored to. And I tell you, I was nervous. Like, I ain't know what to think. I'm just like, that's my first time ever meeting a man. Like, I ain't never talked to him. I shook his hand, and I'm sh- I'm nervous. I'm sweating and everything. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I mind you, the other four guys had already been in the NBA. I had never played an NBA game. So I was a fresh out of college. Name those guys. D.A., Mike, name those guys. Ray Allen was there. Ray Allen was one. Uh, Michael Finley was two. Eddie Jones was three. And Vin Baker was four. And I was the fifth guy. So, mind you, they had already put in work in the NBA. So, he picked me, and I had only played 18 games my senior year in college. And he yeah. said, that was he said that's all I need to see. And when I tell you people was around, he was like, watch the film of me. I was shooting running one-leg floater fadeaways in, at UK. And they were like, like, how you even shoot like that? And because my mindset was, I watched Jordan, and I said, if he can do this, I can master what he did, and I can become just as good or close to it. Yeah. And mind you now, how many people tear both ACLs and still can do all the dunks that I could do in games? Look, look, look. I don't know anybody that can do the dunks you can do in games right now. <laughs> Without two ACLs. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll backtrack more. In 1996, that Kentucky championship team, nine future NBA players coached by Rick Pitino. You guys, oh, my God, 34-2 and two that year, including the tournament. Tell us about those years with Kentucky. Oh, uh, well, they were great. I talk about my college years all the time. They were the best times because you never had to worry about money. You weren't caring about anything. You were just on campus, wore the same jogging suit. Y'all went to the same class, went to practice, went and got something to eat. But you all hung out with dudes who was like you. There was no, all oh, this guy's like the NBA. He's the best pick. They might trade me, none of that. It was just a great time to be a young kid basketball player. It was fun to me. So what I did was just focused on how can I make sure that everything is good? How can I just enjoy this ride? And Coach Patina always told us to, to live in a precious present. And what that meant was live in this moment. Older you get, things start changing, this, this, and that. But live in the present. That's all you can do, and that's all I focus on is making sure I did that. And when I tell you, man, it was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I was just like unbelievable. So for me, I was like, what do I need to do next? And I just and here's the thing about our team is we just sent the group check text last uh, three days ago, and we told our friend or one of our teammates happy birthday. All 16 of us, it was 16 guys that was on the group. All of us responded. How many other guys can say that from 23 years ago that your your team still sends out birthday group texts? We do it on holidays. The group texts a guy get a job. We'll group text like those things actually. So I just remember it was just the greatest time of my life, man. And then we won the championship, and we had 86 points at halftime one game. 
at halftime at LSU who didn't have scrubs. They had two McDonald's All-Americans on their team. And we scored 86 points in halftime. Like, we were just a great team. And in the two games we lost, we already knew what happened. And we both – we avenged one. We already beat the other team before Coach didn't play half the starters in the second half against Mississippi State, who we just went to Mississippi State and beat by 20 like a few weeks before. So it wasn't like we couldn't beat him. He just wanted to make a point like, y'all playing around and somebody's going to beat you. Yeah. Well, D.A., I'm going to ask you this because – like I was in, I was in, um, I was around for the time during those Kentucky days because I was a big Antoine Walker guy, and I was, of course, I was big on you. Now I always told people that if it wasn't for the injury, your your um, your last year plan, you were averaging 17 at that time, 18, I think 17 or 18, and you just came off that big time dunk that hit ESPN, and I felt like you was the top three pick before that situation happened. I want to know, like, how was the draft? How did did you did you know where you were going? Did you know you were gonna fall? Tim Duncan was top player of the year. Huh? Me and Tim Duncan was top for player of the year to be happy. Me and Tim Duncan was top for player of the year in December. Like at the at the end of December, he and I was tied for the no, it was January. He and I was tied for the best player in the country at that time. I was actually averaging twenty, so I stopped those technical free throws. Yeah. So walking walking into the <laughs> draft. Walking into the draft, D.A., after that injury of expecting to be a top three pick with him, did you know you were going to drop so low number one? Did you know where you were going number two? And how did you feel after signing with Jordan Brand? Was the big pressure like, man, I have to deliver this rookie year? Well, I never put pressure on myself. But for me, was I got invited to the draft. I was cool. Like, I had never dreamed. Like, I didn't have aspirations to play in the NBA like a lot of people. I wanted to just be every day I played. I was like, I'm trying to be the best dude out here. Like, that was my mindset. Like, whoever's out there, like, if I saw that you was good, I said, I want to guard him, and I'm going, I'm going to give him work. Like, that was my mindset. So when they talked about the NBA, they said, hey, man, we get, you get an invite. Because I didn't go to the combines in Chicago. All I did was go do workout with teams, and I made sure my knee was fine. I didn't have to go play. And mind you, I hadn't played since January 18th. So I knew I was getting drafted. I didn't care where. Yeah. Like, I wasn't tripping. I'm like, oh, man, I'm sad because I didn't get to go number three. I didn't care. I said, put yeah. me on the roster and watch me do work. Put me yeah. on the roster and watch me do work. That was my whole mindset. I'm not into this, oh, he went one, two, three, because the dudes before me, they got handled. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody loves their Jordan sneakers. I do. I know Jermaine does. Which pair of Jordan sneakers, what number specifically, is your favorite to play in? My favorites to play in were the threes or the fours. My favorite shoe made was the Concords. Because they were my low cuts. They were, they were like sweet. They felt great. Uh, but I was a fan of the three and four, so I was always always like those. But my Concord, the low cuts, Tim Duncan used to call them uh, flip-flops. He used to walk around in flip-flops with ankle tape. said I was playing in, in shower shit. <laughs> uh, DA, I read a story that you went to Mike about the Concords and cutting them low. Is that is that correct? Well, we were in the meeting talking about shoes. It was Tigger. It was everybody. Gentry, everybody was in the room. And he had pulled up the uh, some shoes. And I was like, well, can I get mine low-cut? Because I played low-cut in college. He was like, cut what? And I was like, I want every shoe I want, I want like low cut. He's like three quarters. I'm like, nah, low cut. He's like, why would you want low cut? 
<laughs> he kept asking. I was like, dude, low cut, low cut. Like, every suit, like, what's coming out? And it was a tw- the Conquerors was coming out. And I was like, can I get these in such and such when they come out when the season? Because it was November. And he was like, well, we doing all the team shoes first. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll rock the team shoes, no problem. And he was like, well, we're going to push the Conquerors back. And he said, when they do come, I'll let you know. So we went through the whole team shoe. He didn't even push the 12s out, the, the Conquerors out yet. He went through the whole – we did, like, the Team Jordan shoe. They were, like, sky blue. Mine, Ray Allen had green. Like, everybody had their colors. Yeah. So the next year, after the lockout happened, and that's when we went back to the table at 99, and it was like, what y'all wearing? And that's when everybody started doing retros. Like, Ray wanted to do his retros and his colors. Like, we just all got creative at that point. Because what happened was nobody was buying the Jordan brands. They wanted right. Jordan shoes. They want classic. Yeah. They wanted classic. So what we did was all said, let's redo his stuff. So when we started redoing his stuff, and I cut them things low. When I tell you, I had everybody like, because because people that couldn't hoop wanted low cuts. Yeah. Like the people who wore used to wear K Swiss and Adidas, <laughs> they was all, man, I want some low cut Jordans. And Jordan yeah. had some low cuts before, but they weren't like noticeably worn all the time. I wore mine everywhere. Like, I changed the colors of them things. So, it was just a crazy story. When I told him I wanted to cut all my suits, I told him I didn't want no hot top anything. The most exciting DA I saw was the first two years. That's Cleveland DA. Now, the best one I saw, I think, was San Antonio. But the most exciting DA, the freshest DA, the most stylish DA, the most explosive (laughs) DA was Cavalier DA. That's the guy I seen go at Kobe's throat. That's the guy I seen beat the Lakers as a as a rookie. And I'm just like, man, this dude is so explosive. The baseline, right side dunk, leaning. Uh, your fourth game into the season, I was just like, man, this dude is going to be an all-star. Like, I want to know how you felt in those moments. I want to know about the trade for Sean Kemp, and I want to know how good Sean was at that time compared to Seattle, Sean. Yeah, well, first part is – well, again, when I played, I didn't see a statue because, like, I never went to AAU basketball. I didn't play in circus. Like, I got invited to go to these camps, but I couldn't go because my life that I had, it was rough. Uh, I was a single dad at 15, so I couldn't even go play in the pickup league sometimes because I had my son. So when I saw All-Americans and all this and that, like, when I went to the Junior Olympics, and I was the MVP in the Junior Olympics, and I played against Stackhouse, Rasheed, Camby. Like, I was the MVP against all them dudes. And when I see people say they're all Americans, they're top picks, I never looked at that. I said, if you out there just like me, you're going to get this work. So I always had a mindset, go play hard, give it all you got mentally and physically, and live with the results. So for me, my my, my time when I got to the NBA, man, I wasn't even tripping on anything and trying to outlive up to what Jordan had me to do. He blessed me with opportunity, and I played just like him, all out, every single time with no fear, no nothing. Um, So that's the way I approached it. And Love when it. I met with Sean Kemp, uh, my rookie year, he was one of those guys that he was unselfish because he had never had to be the guy who averaged 30. Mm-hmm. He used to play with Gary Payton, who was the leader. So this is the first time Sean had to be a leader, and it was four rookies with me. You know, so it was like Elgowski didn't play, and he was trying to lead while also not – that's not what he normally does. So for me was – his forte was like, let me just play, help these young boys out, and he allowed me to be me. Like, I was averaging, like, when we began the season, I was averaging about 15 to 16. And then Mike Fratello had to go politics, and they had signed a couple guys who had money, and they had to start letting them be wild. Like, why are you paid all this, all this, all this money 
and they were trying to stay under the salary cap. Like Cleveland wasn't one of those teams that was trying to win back then. They were just right. worried about the cap, which a lot of teams right. were. So, um, but Sean Kent was a good dude, great player. But I threw him an alley oop my uh, rookie year, and he barely made it. I watched him the year before, and he he ran down the lane and almost had the ball behind the goal and dunked. I could tell he was like he wasn't the same player. That and he had different moves because he was physically dominating everybody. Um, right. But he just wasn't the same player. And it was it was sad to see because then the next year he gained 30 pounds, and we all know what happened after that. He, he wasn't, right. he wasn't right. the same player. Right. After him, so. Yeah, that, that decline for Kemp hit him hard for sure. And you don't really see that anymore, these steep declines. But, you know, moving on, D.A., when you first got to the league, who were a couple players you were in awe of when you first stepped on the floor with them? Never in all people. No. I admire them. I admire their game. And uh, this is water, by the way. <laughs> uh, I was ne- I was I wasn't in all people, man. I I admire their games. I admired how they. I was just glad to be on the same platform. I was always kind of admired as a player. Like I saw guys in college and. You know, I didn't have an ego where it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to prove a point to this dude. No, if I saw him out there, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get dude. I'm going to show him. I know because I studied the game. Like, I knew Ray Allen, like, was going to pull up his right. He's driving. Like, that was his pull-up. You know, putting the ball on your left and step backs. Like, I was a student of the game where people now just literally let a dude do the same move over and over and over. And I'm like, are y'all ever going to watch this dude's habits? And for me, was I was always a student of the game, and, and that's why I was always having fun with it. Like, those are like, man, he's a great defender. I anticipate your basic moves. That's why I was a great defender. You can't guard. You can't stop anybody one-on-one, especially now. But back then, I was always able to watch the game, watch how people move. So it was just uh, it was just fun to me to be on that court. But I do tell you this. My first six games, the first game I guarded Clyde Drexler. Second game, Reggie Miller. Third game, Michael Jordan. Fourth game, Allen Iverson. Fifth game, Ray Allen. Sixth game, Mitch Richmond. That was my first – six games into the NBA. <laughs> Oof. And and out of those six, who who was the toughest one to, to match up with? Besides Michael, it was Mitch Richmond. Wow. He's, yeah. a, he's an elbow me while he was posting up. I was like, yo, man, this dude's strong. <laughs> like, man, oh, I just, that's legal? Like, I used, to ask, I used to ask the ref, is that legal that he can elbow me on offense and move me out of the way? He's like, yeah, you got to get tough. I was like, the referee told me to get tough. I was like, wow, welcome to the NBA. Now it's like you might get thrown out of the game for throwing the elbow like that. He was posting up throwing elbows. <laughs> I wanna I don't wanna skip San Antonio because we're gonna come back to it. But the Clippers, I think, was your best best season and it looked like you had the most fun. I wasn't with those guys, I was with Lamar Odom, and that was the difference. I I got him his rookie year. And uh-huh. that was that was different because he was a great talent, great dude. The goods. Yes, he was good. When I tell you that dude had it all, and he actually wanted to win, like that dude would be mad when he lost. Like when I look at Lamar, I'm like, man, people don't know how passionate that dude was about the game. Like Lamar hated to lose. And he saw some guys laughing and joking. He was like, why they like that, man? I'm trying to win. Like that dude was passionate about winning. So for him, for me, that was a great time to be there. Statistically, it was easy because I was being able to lead. I just came from Cleveland. I was on a one-year deal uh, for my rookie year deal. So 
I knew what I was trying to do. I knew how I needed to lead and help them guys out. I could actually shot more. Like, I never averaged more than 12 shots a game a season, and I've always averaged double figures. Like, to be a two-guard, there's no way I should not have been shooting more. But I yeah. knew how I wanted to win. I knew how to play the game the right way. So I was always taught to play the game the right way. And that's what I did. But no, Clippers was a great time. Uh, but you know the owner at the time, he wasn't trying to pay nobody. So everybody was leaving. Like, dude, Mar like Maurice Taylor was, was balling. Troy Hudson was a baller. Tyrone Nesby. But he didn't mm. want to pay nobody. So everybody was like, we knew it was just a pit stop. If we could build there, like what Sam Cassell and yeah. all them dudes did, it would have been different. But they never paid anybody. So that was one of those bad business deals we had. But I love I love playing the Clippers. Great people. Uh, Jason Powell was one of the greatest dudes I ever met, man. And he's a trainer still. He was just getting there. Just just good people that you stay connected with. Clippers was a good good spot for me. Then after L.A., of course, you go you move on to San Antonio. I have Tim Duncan as my greatest um, power forward of all time. Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time. You're Manu Ginobili before Manu Ginobili. You're the you know <laughs> you're 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 the second guy next to Duncan, averaging sixteen four and four. Da, those are great numbers, man. Tell us about your experience in San Antonio. Yeah, if you're the second leading scorer on a number one team in the, in the in the NBA, you're doing something. I don't care what you say. We had sixty wins. I played all eighty two games. Didn't miss a game. So when you're doing it, like like even George Gary said, man, you can be a Hall of Famer, man. You keep working, you stay here. But again, when you talk about business, it always changes people's lives. You can look at everybody's situation, who's who's moved on. It, it changed their whole career. And I mm -hmm. think that's one of those situations that happened to me. Um, Ginobili, great player, good athlete. Um, came into the league with a little bit of flopping, little European league. Great dude, great player. Like he was never one of those like jealous guys. He was always cool. Um, but he got the right opportunity. He came off the bench. There was no pressure for him. I love watching him play besides the flopping. But a uh, great player, great dude. And when I look back at that situation, if I would have stayed, would they would have recruited him? Would they would have needed him at all? We could have played one, two, three. Because I played one, two, three. Like, like I had Avery Johnson. So when I'm coming off the pick or screen, they're still sitting in my lap because Avery wasn't a shooter. Would they have sitting in my lap as much as TP would have been there? Like, he could have shot. He could have drove, like, different playmakers. You never know. But I think that was a big if for me. But I called Michael Jordan. I called Daryl Griffin. I called everybody. What should I do with San Antonio? They told me they would give me a six-year deal. Then they cut it and sell me five, four. And then if they said they did do a fifth, if they would do a fifth year, it would be the option. So I would only get four years there. I'd already took a one-year deal with them instead of taking a six-year, a five-year deal with Miami Heat. So I had sacrificed one year already. And then when RC told me he didn't know if I was going to come back, uh, if he was going to give me more than four years, and I was like, I can't take that risk. I had two ACLs in college. I just got taken yeah. out of the air by Juwan with my shoulder, and everybody told me, you got to get your money. I mean, everybody said, we, we, you might could be a Hall of Famer and win a championship, but you can't replace $20 million. Yeah. And this is like in 2001, and he was like, you're right. So I took the $48 million instead of $28 million, and, I, and it worked out. I still got a championship. <laughs> Some stories about Tim Duncan. I know you two were very close that year. Mm -hmm. um, people think he's very to himself and quiet. Now, I want some experience from you of being around Timmy. He's very quiet. Like, I'd, I'd never been to his house. Like, I, we would always, like, all the team or me, him, Antonio, like, hey, we would all go to restaurants or somewhere like that. Like, he was so cool, but you never got to see him in, a, like, a cool, like, a different setting besides being silly or basketball. Like, me and him watch – we would all be on the thing. We would be watching 
uh, Pink Panther, the old one, like the 1970s version. Like, we would watch that. Then we would watch Martin. Like, we were always kind of, like, just chilling. Like, he was very cool dude, quiet. Like, me and him was cool in the court because we, we would laugh and joke. But you never got a real sense of him sometimes because he was so quiet. Great mm-hmm. teammate, though. One of the best teammates you'll ever have. And when people say a great teammate is because he never talked bad to you. He never talked down on you. He never told you, hey, pass me the ball. He was never egotistical. He was always a dude that just wanted the best for everybody. Like, dude could have – he could have shot a lot more. But you see, he let Manu, he let me, he let Steven Jackson, he let everybody get that ball up. Like, that mm-hmm. dude was an unselfish player, man. So, Tim was a different dude. But you didn't have any good stories about him personally because you didn't know him outside of basketball. Or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was always to himself. He was he's, – he's definitely a different, unique dude. Well – you left there, and I was pissed about that because I always said you were uh, my, my new before my new, but, hey, we're, we're going to go past that because I have a tougher question. <laughs> you were on the Portland Trailblazers with Scottie Pippen. You were Scottie Pippen, the legendary Scottie Pippen, the Scottie Pippen with the Bulls that we all saw growing up. You were with the Jordan brand, so you got your mic. He had his mic. <laughs> what were those conversations like one-on-one where it's like, you know, how is Mike with him? How is Mike with you? How was it with Scotty? I get a lot of horror stories, but I want to hear from a horse's mouth. I don't like hearsay. Well, me and Jordan was cool. I was cool with Jordan. I wasn't cool with Scotty as far as off the court. Like, right. I didn't know him. Like, I got plenty of stories with Jordan. Like, like I went to speak at his camp. And he said, no, you ain't going back to Louisville. You're going to Chicago with me. We're going to this uh, is, is this uh, graduation event, this graduation party. I'm like, man, you can't just kidnap me. He said, come on, man. Come on, you're going with me. <laughs> so he kidnaps me and my uh, <laughs> me and my homeboy. He was like, come on, man. We got on a private plane, me, him, Terrell Owens. And we started we started playing dominoes. Uh, we started playing, uh, yeah, domino on uh, the plane, his plane. I'm like, man, I just got kidnapped. Like, I wasn't even supposed to be here. <laughs> like, that was hilarious. Mikey, I asked this man the Scotty Pippen question, and he went back to Mike. That's why he my kind of guy, right yeah, there. That's like, why. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know. Like Scotty was my teammate, but Scotty was more like this a guy. He wasn't a leader guy. He was more of a like, I'm a facilitate. So if you told Scotty what to do, he's gonna get it done. Yeah. That's why he needed a mic. That's why. That's why he didn't work in um uh, in Houston. Houston. Remember they went with yeah. yeah. He didn't work there. Like they wanted him to be that to bring that Mike mentality. He can't bring that to, like, Chuck and all them dudes. Chuck and them going to do what yeah. they want to do. You can't bring that to Rasheed Wallace and them guys. They He's they, he not that type of dominant leader where he's going to tell them, you're going to do it my way or no way. He was just a good yeah. leader. He was a good dude. If you told him to go do something, Scotty would, Scotty would get it done. So that was yeah. it. You had to talk to Scotty with that. But he, we never had a personal relationship. Like, he was always cool, cordial. Um, and I played with him for, like, three years, I think, two or three years. But he was just always one of those dudes who just – Went about his business, and, and he did it. Plus, he was getting older, so he wasn't trying to kill yeah. himself. He was like, man, I finally yeah. got paid after all these years. Like, Scotty was on a decline, and he recognized that, and he was just letting letting us rock. Like, you'll be games yeah. that, like, he would be like, come on, D.A., we getting you this ball. Like, there's plays you can see on the internet all the time. He would come in, get the ball, throw it to me. They would get an offensive rebound, hand it to me, and I'd go make a play. Like, I felt good about that, man. That was good. Scotty would be like, here Come on, DA, come off this double screen down. We get this game winner. We going home. He would talk yeah. like that. Yeah. And he'd be like, come on, you're going to hit this three. We're going to go home. Let's rock. Like, he was a good – he was a good 
like older uh, kind of vet type of guy. But he was never rah rah, hurry up, get your stuff together, none of that. I just saw you. I don't know, scratch your face or whatever. Did I just see that fat rock of a championship ring on your finger? Oh, that ring. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to see that. Show it off. <laughs> there we go. 2006 Miami Heat champion. Yeah, I got to speak to some kids in a minute. They wanted to see it. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. And and following up with that, you know, you mentioned that first round series with the Lakers, guarding Kobe Bryant. Talk to me about that in your Portland days. I had played against him my rookie year, and I had, what, I had 30? 30. And after that, after that, I was like, well, man, why are they pumping this dude up so tough? And I got to the Clippers a couple years later, and this dude figured it out. And I guarded <laughs> that dude then. I was like, yo, this dude is crazy nice. I literally had to change my mindset because at first I wasn't hyped on him. And I'm like, man, he ain't going to shoot all the balls. Man, that dude ain't cold. Then the playoff that year, he signed air balls. I'm like, man, he ain't that good. Man, a couple years later when I got – because the lockout, we didn't go over there playing. We had – you know, they played most of these games. We had 50 games in, in like two months. But that next year when I went out there and I saw this dude, he got stronger, everything. When I tell you, he made me – he put me – me and him used to talk. They was like, they were like, man, y'all too good. Go at it. Like when me and him tried to plan each other, we like – he wouldn't even guard me after the first couple of events. You can look on it. I'll send you some tapes, man. That, like, I would put him in foul trouble because I played like him. I knew he wanted to block my shot. I would shot fake him and jump into him. Get him out of here. That's one foul. Take him around, grab him, hook him, run into the screen because he wants to play defense. He wants to lock me up. So I'm using his aggressiveness against his, against him, making him do things he didn't want to do. But then he would get on the other end. And, I mean, when I tell you that dude had everything Mike had, whew. the difference with him and Mike, he was rushing the score and Mike would take his time. Mike would look at you, yeah. hold you here. Kobe would just say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Like, when you saw Kobe get older, he started to change and started being like Mike. Yeah. It was Mike, Mike, when I first guarded Mike, he looked and said, hey, move away. So when I seen him pass fake the ball, he spent off me so fast. I was like, whoa, that dude is fast. Like, it was a mental game with Mike more than it was physical first. Right, right. Now, D.A., when you went to Houston, you had, you had Mac and Yao at the same time, right? Okay, now I really want to ask this question because this is personal for me. You saw T-Mac and Yao, but you also played against Kobe and Shaq. This is, this is a big man era time. This is not, it's not like it is right now. I want you to compare the two. You were there with T-Mac, who was just up there with Kobe for about two years. Then, of course, the injuries killed him. You know what I'm saying? But then Yao, who was a special big because most bigs couldn't move or – be super skilled like y'all was. So comparing the big man guard like Kareem and Magic, now you got Kobe, Shaq, you had Yao and T-Mac that was kind of premature because both of them couldn't really stay together because both of them got hurt. I want you to compare those two as far as dominant duels. Well, there was different dominant duels because Shaq was going to get you 30 and 10 no matter what. Yao was kind of like, I want to pass. Kyle was like Sabonis. Remember Big Sabonis? Yeah, 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 he was yeah. like him. He wanted to win. He wanted to pass. Like, Yao was kind of like, I'm not going to shoot terrible shots. Like, Yao would pump fake and be like, nope, not a good shot. <laughs> He'd throw it out. Well, yeah. Shaq would be like, man, I don't care. I'm, Shaq would throw it off the glass just to go get it. <laughs> and then he'll try to pull you, the rim, the bolts, everything out of the ground. Yao wasn't physically like that. So that was the difference. Like, if you put T-Mac and Kobe, you say if you canceled them out. Yeah. The difference was Shaq was just going to dominate you when he got that ball when he wanted to. 
Mm-hmm. He wouldn't make free throws, but he would do but everything else. He's he was yeah. just that more dominant and Yao's again, it wasn't Yao's personality to be that way. Like we yeah. asked certain players to be like like LeBron's not a dominating, I'm going to kill you because I can person. He wants to play yeah. and get everybody involved. That's right. a great attribute, but when you need you, when we need you to get if you got 40 in the third quarter, I expect you to at least get 50. LeBron would end up yeah. with like 45 or 46, but get like 10 more assists. You know what I mean? Like that's right. just his nature. He's he's more of a facilitator, but if he ever put that thinking cap on, but that was that was Yao Ming. So the big guy, Yao was just never a dominating center, man. He just it was different. But because if you put those two together, and you put him in a series, Tracy's going to get 30, Yao's going to average 18. Kobe and Shaq both averaged 30 in the NBA Finals. Both yeah. averaged 30 in the Finals. Yeah. So there's yeah. a difference there. I got there's you. A difference. Now, in your career, there are so many legendary teammates that we already went through. Then, man, you go to all of the legends in Miami in 2006. Dwayne Wade, who was on the cusp of, you know, superstardom. Shaquille O'Neal, White Chocolate, Alonzo Mourning. Gary Payton and those guys. Tell us about that season and kind of almost taking a step back behind all of these legends to form a great team to win a championship. Well, well when I got there, you could tell everybody was kind of figuring out their roles. What happened was all the veteran guys, because me, Antoine Walker, uh, Gary Payton, Alonzo, we had all been used to being starters. We had all used to being the guy who makes the decisions. We all had to take a back seat and come off the bench. Now think about that. You got me averaging double figures in my career, Antoine being an all-star, Gary Payton a Hall of Famer, Alonzo being a Hall of Famer, all except coming off the bench. If you can get that on any team, you would have won. Yeah. And I think what happened was we all decided, like, you know what? For us to win, let's, let's let him rock with the young boys, save our energy, and then the playoffs we can use ourselves. Once those guys start accepting their roles, it became easier. Because when you take Jason Williams, Dwayne Wade, Posey, Udonis has him in Shaq. That's a great five. But then you substitute and you don't fall off very much. You know, I think because Dwayne Wade wasn't a three-point shooter. So when I got in, I could knock down threes, make my plays. I first game I played uh, when I got traded there, I hit a game, I hit a game tying shot on a fadeaway. Coach drew up a play for me. One-on-one hit a fadeaway, got off his rebound to Alonzo. We won the game. Like it wasn't like I couldn't play. Uh, in year eight or year nine I was in. And the fact that Dwayne was so young and athletic, we had to let him rock, and it worked out. Coach came to me and said, man, we got to let young player play. And I'm like, all right. And, and he was right. Like, we had to let him play. That dude was different. If I was in year four or five, I'd have been mad. But in year yeah. nine, I was like, I get it. Like, there's a time when you look at yourself and say, because I played five years in college, you know, two ACL, so my, my, my wearing tear was hurt. And I got that. And I was like, you know what? You're probably right. You know, I wanted to play. I wanted to do more because I was playing up until that last game, the last uh, Dallas series. So I had been playing, but he was like, we got to let young fella rock, man. And I was like, did all you, right. D.A., did you know 24-year-old Dwayne Wade was going to end up being as good as he is right now? No, I didn't. He didn't have that same work ethic he did back then. He was lazy on defense like a mom. We was like, yeah. dude, you got to play defense. You know, you got to stop being lazy. And then when Coach got in him a little bit, he, he turned that thing on, boy. He was in the passing lane. He was guarding you, hitting you with his chest. We knew he could do it, but he had never played that many games or, and never had to be relied on like right. that. Like, if you remember him and Marquette, it looked like University of Louisville, him and Marquette, they would go at each other 
but there was guys who would go at him all the time. You know, he, yeah. he, he was just a different dude. I had no idea he would be the type of player he was, he turned out to be. But you could tell he had he, he had something. I just thought like a Carmelo and LeBron they were going to surpass him, but he stayed right in the group with them. So he, he was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, he, he, he surprised me with that. He went from a lazy defender to, I think, yeah, for sure, the, the most blocked shots as a shooting guard ever. And arguably next to Michael Jordan, one of the best guard defenders ever. I'd love to hear your thoughts on him for that too. Well, he, uh, I don't know about the, the best defender uh, to Jordan, but. <laughs> <laughs> up there. I, I only said up there. up there. No, Mike, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you tell him, don't do that. Like, that's a, that's a whole new ball game. That dude can lock you down and everything. But now D-Wade picked it up, and he didn't care about getting dunked on. He would tell you, I'm coming to get it. Like, when I heard what D-Wade said, I said, man, that dude got some heart right there. But, like, you like playing with dudes like that. You ain't never got to be like, he don't care about getting dunked on. He'll get dunked on and say, well, I'm going to still try it next time. And he'll laugh it off yeah. and go do it. Like, that that dude got some heart, man. And you you appreciate playing with dudes like that. So, he, but he, was a, he, he learned to play hard. I think he accepted his role and understood, you know what, I got to play hard. You know, because everybody else is doing the same thing, playing hard. You can't, you can't pick and choose when you want to go hard when everybody else is doing it. And once he turned that light bulb on, man, that dude was different. That's what made him better. He gave his all, all a lot more. That made him a lot better. Is there one moment from your career that you're most proud of? Not one moment. I think it's too many moments of successful change. Like, for me being in middle school to high school to college, like, I've been fortunate enough to win at every level. So, for me, it's like I don't have one shiny moment. But I do remember the time that I realized that I, I had a career in basketball, and it was a personal one, was – when I was sleeping outside on the bench in the park, and my one of my best friends that I grew up with, he said, "Man, you need to go play basketball with us." And I thought about, man, like like just doing crazy stuff. Like I was hungry. My mother had left me in the apartment. My dad was gone, so I was going through stress at like 11 years old. And I was like, "Man, I don't know what to do." And the dude came and told me, "Man, you need to go play basketball with us." And I wouldn't play basketball with him. That was the first time I played basketball at a pickup game like that, and that's changed my life. I started hanging with him and playing basketball. So one significant change in my life was a dude just telling me to come hoop, and that changed my whole life. Because I played football. Like, we grew up in the projects. We didn't have a basketball goal. We had football. We had grass. Like, we was using people's shirts and throwing it behind your head. We was playing football with people's clothes. Like, we didn't, you know, we, we, we played football. So dude. for him to change that, that was a life-changing, life-saving. And the, those wow. early beginnings, you know, we didn't really touch too much on it, but explain to us in the audience about where you grew up, the hard times, and – in my opinion, that's that just tells me why you're so resilient in your career, even after those ACL surgeries, to just come back and be better. Uh, the quick version. <laughs> is yeah. I grew up uh, grew up like five blocks from Muhammad Ali. Um, but our project housing was here, and then his home was up the street. And what happened with us was we were put in the generation where right before they started busing, we didn't have a lot. Like we lived in a project housing, and everybody has project housing. But Clinton claiming and tours down there were so bad. Like if it would flood you would see rats floating through the water if it would flood in the, in, the, in the hill. Like, we had it very bad, but people were good to each other. There was, there was good people in those, those project houses. You didn't have a lot, but if we, I had a cup of sugar, you had some people looked out for you. So for me, was growing up in that environment taught me a lot about don't complain, be grateful. Stop complaining about stuff. Be thankful to what you got. Everybody, you think you got it bad, somebody's got it worse than you. Yeah. And, I, and I and we was always taught to be respect, be grateful for what you do have. Stop talking about you don't live in that house. You ain't got these pair of shoes. You ain't got that. No, you better be grateful. And that's the way we grew up. So that taught me 
how to be resilient. That taught me how to love, even if you didn't look like you had a dime in your pocket. You treat people with respect. You treat mm -hmm. people where you, you hold yourself with respect. You don't walk around looking like you dirty just because you come from, you don't have a lot. We washed mm -hmm. our clothes in sinks and that was the difference. Like we had trend detergent that we would wash our clothes in and wash that tub out and then take a bath in trend. Like we just had to survive, mm -hmm. man. And, and for me, it, it coming home to a literally an empty apartment. Like people ask me, you, your mother, she left you something? No. I had a mattress and a couch and, a, and a, uh, some sheets in my room with my clothes. My brother, who was three years older, older than me, ran away from home. And I came home to an empty apartment. Like my mother left no note. She took the furniture. And she had to do it mentally, uh, mentally because she took everything and left my stuff. And I was, go I was about to turn 12 in, in that summer. And I hadn't seen my mother, you know, for 20 years. And it was like, well, what do you do at that age? So I just walked around being nice, worked jobs, worked at the Winn-Dixie. Back then, you could ask to carry people's bags for five or 10 cents. And I was just hustling at that point. Never sold dope, never did drugs. I ain't never uh, steal nothing. I worked at a candy store crossing the project housing. I stayed over other people's houses. People were like, man, what time are you going home? Like, I ain't got no curfew. Like, I didn't even have a curfew, like, because nobody, there was no parental guidance. Luckily, there was a high school coach to get me an address, helped me go to the high school at Dolphs. I had to use the same physical from the seventh grade to I was a junior in high school because you had to have parental guidance signed for it. I had none of that. So when I got sick, I was staying in, in people's houses. I had the neighborhood, the community help me out, man. And I mean, people literally helped me survive this way. So for me was, I'm not going to quit. You know way I'm quitting. I don't care how many ACLs and injuries I got. I, if I had it that bad as a kid, I don't want to go back to that. People say, well, man, how come you ain't never tried to gamble? Dude, I work too hard for this money. I know what it feels like to have nothing, to be starving and not have nothing. I literally went days sometimes eating bread and bologna and drinking water out of a fountain in the park. So when you ask me why I don't do things, I got too much to lose to do that. So I just appreciated where I come from, man, and I'm still the same way. Same way, your habits that you you create as a young person is what you become as an adult. Man, that's I, man, that's just amazing. That's amazing. It makes me not want to go on, but we have to. <laughs> <laughs> we got to. So, uh, Da, man, who who would you be without the two ACLs in college, man? Because Derrick Rose fell off. Who would you be without having them before you ever walked into the NBA? Your whole career. What do you think would have been different if the, the injuries didn't happen? Because I honestly feel like when you rehab, you get stronger. Yeah, but you lose. That young. Yeah, young, but you lose. I didn't get full rotate. I didn't get full extension in my left knee, which is my jumping knee. And I still jumped over people. Mm -hmm. So to yeah. say that, if you look at Vince Carter's career, what was he known for? So yeah. imagine. Half man, half yeah, amazing. so now if I had that vertical, how could my career change? You had Melvin Levitt. Explosive. And I'm me six, and you know who that is. And I'm 6'5 and three fourths with no shoes on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, mean, I, could, I could see I could see a um a Vince Carter. I said I said you were, in my opinion, a mixture between Latrell Sprewell and Jason Richardson. Like it was like that blend of an explosive athlete that could score. I seen a lot of Sprewell. Like I grew up on those guys, so you knew who Sprewell was, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So I saw a lot of that. I thought the career would have went that way. I thought you would have made four or five all-star games. Mm -hmm. You would have definitely had two or three rings. And that's yeah. how I would have finished off. That's what I saw. Well, I didn't say I was going to be uh, Vince. Like, play. I don't play like Vince because his hands are big. I was just saying how high yeah. I jump. 
you would you would remember me for a lot more dunking. You would remember me for because I was passionate about playing. But you look at some of the video I sent you. I could pull up on a dime and shoot a fadeaway like MJ. I could do shoulder shake fakes up and under. I was smart. I could drive, pull up, fake. If I go to the hole, I could dunk left or right hand. I could lean either side of the court. So I had a mixture of a game. And Latrell was more like, like you said, Latrell was like that. Then you add Jason Richardson, who would jump high. A uh, good three-point shooter later in my career. But there was a mixture that I had in my game because I patterned it off of everybody. I stole moves from everybody. Steve Smith's hesitation is how I got to go baseline. Hesitate one dribble, doo-doo, and go baseline. Then take two dribbles, and you explode. By the time the big is jumping, I'm leaning into him. He can't even get off the ground quick enough. But you weren't even that big. No, I, I wait one <laughs> 190. So how were you collecting veteran Hall of Fame center bodies? We call them bodies. Learn how, how to jump. Lord, you, you had to learn. Rim. You had to learn how to jump because I practiced learning to jump. I would tell people, I would tell two or three big people to jump at me because my hands are super small, but I would tell people to jump and I would hold the ball back. And so when they hit me, I knew to finish throwing it through. Mm. A lot of dudes just dive into people begging for fouls. I was taught not to beg for a foul. I was taught to finish. So mm -hmm. I taught myself how to get into them and then finish. If you look at Zion Williamson, he has a Sean Kemp type of game, but he's been battling some injuries already in his career. What does he have to do to, to get a career like Kemp? Because I think he needs to lose some weight. You've been around both of them because, well, maybe because Zion's in, in Jordan. But tell me about that comparison between Kemp and Zion. I think it's a good comparison, Only, but the only difference is that Sean Kemp was more of a, a post-up player. It's not so much as just a driver, and I think they're trying to make Zion more of a driver. I think if you can put him on the post, make him become a pass-out guy, pick and roll him like a, like a Carl Malone, you got to put him in positions where he's not just jeopardizing himself. He's driving full steam ahead every game. Everybody, Anybody's going to get hurt. You get a chance of running into people and all kind of things. I think you need to, if a coach has him the right way, you can maintain him until he loses that weight. Get him to run, get him to lose it, but put him in pick and rolls, stop, pass, cut. Get him to where he's moving or standing in a position where he can make one or two quick drills and go. You know, I think when you when he he's a special talent, and we saw Sean Kemp's best highlights was when, when he was running the break. But then we saw him stay in a long career because he learned how to post up and pick and roll. Yeah. I think if a coach can utilize him in that way and not just tell him, hey, get him the ball and let him go one-on-one to tire. Remember he turned himself to Duke? Going one-on-one. -on -one. When he got in the league, going one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I'm talking about like as fast as like the top of the keys. Like sometimes you got to make put him in positions where he can just be on the wing, see the double teams, then go isolation. But I think he's he's got a future ahead of him if he does stay healthy. But you don't want him to be like one of those guys you look up. You remember Tim Thomas? Yep. Tim Thomas was a great guy before he got hurt. Penny Hardaway was a great athlete before he got hurt. If he can stay healthy, his you don't know what he's gonna be. Like he yeah. can literally, he can be the first Zion. We're not, we yeah. don't have to even compare him to, to, to Sean. He can be the first Zion Williamson, and that's what you want to see. Because Penny would have been the first athletic point guard. Yeah, it was like Magic Johnson before LeBron. Like Penny yeah, was I like nine, pass, do everything. But you know, when his injury happened, now guess what? They they stopped comparing him to Magic. Yeah. I like that you I like what you said about Zion when you said he can be the first Zion Williams. But we got another Jordan brand kid that I love because Atlanta drafted him, but then we lost him. Luca. I tell everybody before he ever came, because I'm in Europe, I told everybody that right there is the real next Larry Bird. That's the yep. real one. 
Yep. Like, how do you feel about Luca? Because I love the kid. I love Luca's game. And here's the thing: he's smart, he's cerebral, and he knows how to play basketball. He's not an AAU mm-hmm. kid. That dude will get hot if he sees somebody else hot. He'll throw him the ball. Like he's not out here trying to prove a point. He'll yeah. he'll hit it. He'll pass it. He'll do his thing. He's starting to learn too much of the crybaby stuff, but I think that's just <laughs> because he first came in. He didn't, he didn't that's your opinion. That's your opinion. Oh, my God. I was like, yo, this dude, why, why are you even tripping? Like, dude, dude, dude scrape your nail, and you got to end one. Like, <laughs> but, no, nah, that dude, he's he's tough, man. I like – I like. he's one of the few players in NBA that I can watch an entire game with. Like, I can, if he's yeah, on that too. court, I'm watching the entire game with him because I'm learning watching how he's thinking and seeing how he's playing. It's great to watch yeah. him play. I love him. He is definitely the next – I don't know about the next Larry Bird, but he's the closest thing to it because he, he can do it all. You know, D.A., that, those were the softball questions. Now we got to come to you with the hardball questions. So <laughs> you speak. can't handle this the This is truth. our first edition of the segment called Truth for Truth, where we put you on the spot about topics from your career. Now, Derek, do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth and nothing but the truth in this segment? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I need to know, truth or truth, you are – no, 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 that's too strong. D.A., who's better, you or Manu Ginobili? Me. <laughs> Why? I could do more. In what way? You can't handle the Pull truth. Up, dunk on people two feet, not just one-legged. Didn't have to sneak dunk you. Post up, fadeaways, hitting, hitting tough shots, free throws, everything. I agree. I agree. Now I got the toughest question. I got the toughest question going right now. Jordan Brand guys, you had to play pickup and do training camp together. Who's the yeah. best Jordan Brand guy, not counting Mike? You mean like as far as skill wise, or no? When y'all were playing pickup in those gyms and those practices preseason, who is the best Jordan Brand guy? Period. Well, everybody's going to say themselves. Ain't nobody going to say somebody whooped them. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, like, but here's the thing. If uh, Eddie Jones, hard to guard. And guess what? He's guarding you. Ray Allen, Mike Finley. Like, how you stop? Nobody was getting stopped. Nobody got, nobody got stopped. So nobody – you didn't say nobody torched us. Whoever was on Jordan's team won anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. first statement. Now, now, I'm glad you hit the Jordan thing. Because I'm big on defense on Mike. A lot of people give Mike a bad rep, and they don't know Mike on a personal level, and you hear all these horror stories. He's arrogant. He's mean. He's this. He's that. I even heard Jordan owns a prison, and then I always have to pull up the files to show them who that person is. Tell me who Michael Jordan is, and I also want you to hit on the points of some of the things you told me as far as your charity and how he supported you and how he is about the people in the community. Well, everybody's different on how people see you. Like, they'll see me out and be like, well, man, he might not – he don't like – he won't talk to me. They made their own assumption of they never talked to me. So I tell right. people, don't judge Jordan off of that. Jordan, you're off of the relationship that you see. The man is helping out. He's always helped me out. The man called me his rook since I first met him. He calls me DA now, but sometimes he's like, what's up, rook? And it's been 20 years. You know, right. so we've built a good relationship, a good rapport. Like, I call him if I need him. Uh, we're doing some stuff now. He's always sent me foundation checks. He let me open up the first Jordan shoe store. Wow. He let me do that. Like, I got his approval. He said, yes, you can do it. I wrote my book. He, he co-signed. He said, man, I got you, whatever you need. My stamina book, he's, he's, he's authored. Like, he's, like, he's forwarded. Like, he's always been supportive of me, man. So I was always respectful of him. 
Like, like the way he treats me is different. I see him treat people good out. Like when people say things, I don't see it. And I'm not saying people can't. Hey, people are married to people that might be rude and they don't see it sometimes. But he's always been cordial. He's always been respectful. He's always yeah. been solid 100 with me. So I salute him and respect him for how he treats me. Now, I got if I saw him act a certain way with other people, I would think different, but I've never seen it. Wait, Mike. DA, DA, give me a Jordan story before you go. Give me a Jordan story. Some I need it. True for true. I need a real Jordan story. I want to hear some tr- some trash talking with all the Jordan guys together. Uh, you don't want to hear that? He was uh, okay. He told Terrell Owens told him that uh, Terrell said, "Man, I think I can make it to the league." And, and MJ said, "You can't play for the Clippers. You're terrible." So they started betting and they started talking trash. And Terrell said, "Well, let me let's go play one on one." And MJ said, "If you can beat my son, you can play me one on one." Never played his son. <laughs> <laughs> So Terrell was like, man, I can beat him. I, Terrell could actually hoop though, but now MJ will MJ will bet you anything and put it off on anybody. Like he bet right now that that me and Jake, we could like if we play one on one, he put money on that I could beat you. Yeah. And you well, would. I mean, I I would put, <laughs> I would put money on that too. Yeah, and nah, you he, would. He's, uh, <laughs> dude, he just he's just different, man. Like he has a lot of stories, man, but dude just He's one of those guys he bets on himself every single time and those who he believe in. Yeah. Good dude. Good dude. Well, any, any other stories you could think of before we let you go of MJ? Uh, I, did you record the one that uh, I told you about uh, him kidnapping me? Yes, of course. Yeah, that was it. The rest of them are private stuff. We can't tell. I like, I like private stories. I'm a, pri- I'm a private story kind of guy. So good. Uh, <laughs> All right, DA. For Jermaine Barnes and our guest, the great Derek Anderson, I'm Mikey Domagala, and that was episode one of ESPN's The Truth Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon, and check us out on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, social media like Instagram and Facebook. The Truth Podcast, another great episode. DA, I appreciate you coming on and dropping so much insight and so much amazing stories, my man. No problem, man. Anytime, man. Congratulations. Proud of you guys, man. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Happy to have you number one. Yes, sir. We've heard DA speak. We heard great tales and stories of the great Michael Jordan from DA. But now it is time for Juice to tell you one of the great and fantastic stories of my journey. This is a segment that I call Storytime with Juice. Every weekend you can depend on this. I have several stories and DA, I think I'm going to beat you. I think before you can get into the future of the juice, we got to go back to the beginning. I mean, visualize me, ninth grade, me and my best friends sitting beside each other. Uh, We used to put our math books on the outside and all our sports magazines on the inside. That goes football, basketball. We knew all the statistics, preseason, all Americans. This stuff was important to us. And of course, the teacher, womp, 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 trigonometry, divide this, divide that. And it's always me, Mr. Barnes. (sighs) Yes, ma'am. Three minus nine. Shit, I don't know. LeBron James? Yeah, so, you know, the things we used to do is after basketball practice, we would walk home. And when we got home, the thing to do was to play NBA Live. That was the game. 
That's what we did. We went to school. We went to practice. And it's NBA Live. That's the way it goes until Mike's mom came and picked him up. So every time we sat down, it's like, okay, you know, let's go ahead and play the season mode, you know, and we can continue the season. I'm like, ah, I really don't like that. Let's do fantasy draft. Mike hated fantasy draft. He hated fantasy draft because he knew that meant he needed to think. The rules of the fantasy draft are simple. You got to create your player. Your player could only be at 80, and everybody else had to come out of free agency. They could not be a part of a team. So if they're free agents, you can take them. All the free agents on NBA Live were like 65. So I used to always pick Keith the boss Claus, and he used to get so mad. Why do you like people that are horrible? And I'm like, how's the all-time leading shot blocker in NCAA history terrible? I don't care what he is. He's seven foot twelve and he sucks. His high socks make me sick. I hate his stupid afro. And I used to just look at him like, what is the problem with Keith Claus? He was like, he sucks. Shaq gave him 91 points. And I was like, that never happened. He was like, oh, you know, a guy can't do anything. He can't hit a hook, can't dunk, can't shoot, can't do this, can't do that. He used to be all over the room, random raving about how terrible Keith was. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I picked Keith, and Keith would get, of course, nine blocks, win defensive player of the year. Our team would end up winning the championship. He's pissed. He slams my controller down, storms around the room. I'm sick of this. Keith can't play this good. You're cheating, da, 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 da. Leave the house. Next day of practice, he's ranting and raving to the stars about how terrible Keith Claus is. Keep in mind, we don't know Keith Claus. We're 14 years old. We're kids. We're children. We're children. We don't know anything about who Keith Claus is as a real person. All we know is NBA statistics, books, magazines. This is not the internet age. We didn't have social media. All we have is these books. So he is pissed. Fast forward. I become a professional athlete. I fly to LA. I play in the summer league and I also got to participate in the famous Drew League. I'm young. I'm a young guy. I'm 22 years old. I'm excited. I've never been out of the city of Atlanta. I'm here to prove myself. I'm not scared of nobody. Everybody needs to know who I am. And who do I see when I walk in the door? Uh, Keith the boss Klaus. And I'm like, okay, do I run over there? Do, you know, do I shake his hand and say, Mr. Klaus, you was always my favorite. This, this, and this. What do I do? I'll play it off, play it off, play it off. Be cool. Be cool like Andre 3000 Ice Cold. Just walk up. You know, you're a pro too. You know what? Fuck these people. You can do this too. Hey, you're a good player. Right, you know, the game starts. You know, I hit a couple shots. I'm feeling good about myself. And like Muhammad Ali always says, just run your mouth. It forces you to play better. So I'm trash talking. Nobody in this gym can guard me. This, this, and this. I ain't scared of nobody. Da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, a humongous hand grabs my head. And it said, young fella, shut the up. And I said, oh, what is going on? And I looked up in the heavens, and it was Keith. The boss Claus. He said, hey, country, if you want to make it out of L.A., just shut up and play ball. He looks at everybody on the sideline who must have been a blood and Crips mixture like a Kool-Aid jar. And I started to slowly realize that I was out of place and that my mouth would have got me in trouble. So 
He calmed everybody down and told them, this is a good kid. He's just excited. You have to understand, he's country. That's what he called me. I didn't have a name. My name was country. So afterwards, we went out to eat. I said, Mr. Claus, he's always my favorite player. It's an honor to be around you. It's an honor to meet you. It's this, it's that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Young fella, shut up. No problem. Whatever. And I said, Mr. Claus, my best friend hates your guts. I always defended you when I was a kid. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, we used to play NBA Live Fantasy Mode. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I said, I always picked you. And he says, you know, with the key flat, huh, huh, huh. Oh, that's great. I said, he was furious. He hated your guts. He was like, what I would do to him? I said, I don't know. But he thinks you're the worst player to ever play basketball. You're worse than Kwame Brown to him. He says, you're a waste of air, a waste of space. He hates your socks. He hates your stupid afro. I'm telling him the whole story. So, fast forward, me and Keith end up being super close friends. So, Keith's 40, we're 35, right? We all go to Barcelona, Spain. This is recent. We go to Barcelona, Spain. We're all hanging out, you know, mingling around women, beach, all this, this, and this. And I said, hey, Mike, I want you to meet a good friend of mine. Look over. He said, it's Keith, the boss, Klaus. And I was like, yeah, man, can you believe it? It's Keith Klaus. And Keith looked at him. He reached his hand out with the eyes of a child. We're not 35, keep in mind. We're right back at NBA Live time. And he says, it's an honor to meet you, Mr. Klaus. And Keith looked at him and said, are you sure or do I effing suck? And Mike's face dropped. And me, stepping back in my Reggie Miller face, I'm looking back and forth like, what's about to happen now? This is great. This is great. Where's my camera when I need it? And he was like, Mr. Claus, we were children.
takes a lot of cash to 